Please turn in your Old Testaments to Isaiah 43, verses 26 through 28, as we finish Isaiah 43, just to uh, kind of telegraph to where we're going next week. We're going to begin a new series of messages on the books of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians called Growing, Going, Gone, because those are the themes that are prominent there about our growth in Christ within community are going as a matter of witness to the world around us and then gone has to do with the fact that those two books deal with the second coming of Christ as much as any any books in the New Testament. So we will begin. Great time to invite some folks to come and participate uh, in First and Second Thessalonians. Let's finish with Isaiah 43, a portrait of God's love to us. These are the very last words in this chapter, Isaiah 43, 26 through 28, and these are the very words of God himself. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together, set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned. And your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. And that is the way Isaiah 43 ends. One of the interesting aspects of being a pastor is what we call premarital counseling. Uh, it is when an engaged couple comes in to, uh, to learn about marriage, to be taught from the scriptures. Uh, it's in the category of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And uh, we take this very seriously. But uh, they come in holding hands, frequently looking into each other's eyes. Love is in the air And I, myself, am helped by this time with them. You know, there's a lot of gasoline in those relationships. There's, there's kind of a, uh, a lot of, of energy and, and a kind of anticipation and, and a tenderness that is still exploring the other person because you really want to know and you want to cherish. Uh, yes, they are way up in the clouds in their thinking. They do not realize just how naive in some regards they are. And that's a part of why it's so fun to be with them. They are idealistic. But what I really like about meeting with engaged couples, probably the most, is their incredible emphasis on the future. For after all, the entire marriage is ahead of them. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? We're having, you know, premarital counseling. This counseling is for the purpose of preparing two people for holy matrimony and a life under God together. And it, it is so wonderful, so uplifting. You know, I, I hear them them say, you know, we, this, we, we want to be like this and we want to grow together and we want to do ministry together and we want a, a home one day and we want a family one day and we want to grow old together. 
And it's so captivating and it's so uplifting. But then it happens. The fight. Maybe it's their first fight. Maybe it's about the engagement. Maybe it's about their wedding. By the way, we hope it's not their first fight. If they are all the way into, uh, in, you know, uh, premarital counseling, we would have, we would have liked for them to, to have differed with one another and, and, and really extended God's grace to one another. But this is what happens. Because engagement's kind of a high pressure deal sometimes. It's kind of like a small but potent bomb went off in the relationship and there's some damage. And depending on what happened in that disagreement, there can be some pretty severe damage. So now they are coming back in for more premarital counseling. And they are not looking into each other's eyes. And they are not holding hands. Their body language is very stiff. You can tell something has gone on. And then there's the question, okay, tell me what's going on. And then there's some explanation. And then maybe there's even a verbal outburst. And there might even be a few accusations politely done, hopefully. And then, you know, what's great comes next. And then there's confession And then there's understanding. And then there's forgiveness. And the words are spoken. I forgive you. Wouldn't it be great if people learned to say that before they got married? I forgive you. So, is the engagement still on? Yes, it is still on. There is still going to be a wedding. There is still a future together. So what does pre-engagement counseling or premarital counseling have to do with this text that of all this judgment and scorn that I read from Isaiah 43? Well, it has to do with it because the Bible says that God was married, really betrothed to his people. And those are kind of like engagement, but, but really with the seriousness of marriage And uh, we, the church, we learn in Ephesians 5 and in other places, we are Jesus' bride. He is our bridegroom. And this this engagement we have with Jesus was planned from eternity past. Uh, it It was promised. The promises were made in the Old Testament through what are called covenants. And then the fulfillment of it that brings us together with our bridegroom came through his initiatory love. That he died on the cross because he wanted to win himself a bride, a spotless bride who could have union with him, uh, be married to him. And that, that took the removal of our sins through the cross. And this will happen. Um, one day we are going to be at a wedding supper. It's called the wedding supper or the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus. One day there is going to be this union in space and time and we will be with our bridegroom. We will celebrate and be with him forever. But this engagement has a lot of problems in the Bible. I mean a lot of problems. The the record of the scriptures shows that God's bride has been unfaithful. God's bride has been indifferent 
to his amazing initiatory love. She has loved other gods. She has two-timed her loving bridegroom. Uh, She has continually, we read in the Old Testament, just slopped in the mud of her own sin. And she has been rebellious and haughty and rude to the one who loves her the most. So the Lord addresses God's people here in Isaiah. The, we've called them the prodigal nation. Maybe we should call them the runaway bride or, or the, the unfaithful bride this morning. He says this, tell me why I shouldn't be angry with you. Show me why I should not correct you. Verse 26, and I read from the NIV, review the past for me. Remind me, review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned, Adam, and your spokesman rebelled against me and, and the, the leaders and led the people far from God. This, this review, the past for me, it kind of has the force of remind me. Remind me, God says. Remind me of how faithful you've been. Re- remind me uh, of your unfailing love for me. And the, and the chapter just ends. Because there's no answer. And there's not supposed to be an answer. You know why? Because God's bride is guilty. And there's just no way around it. And there's no talking around it. There's no blaming anybody else. There's no denying it. But God describes in verse 28 how he will deal with Israel's sin. Verse 28, Therefore I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. And that actually happened. And a part of what's going on here, this is remembering back to the destruction of Jerusalem, to the exile of God's people in a a faraway land in Babylon for 70 years. Oh yeah, there's trouble in the betrothal. There's big trouble. There's betrayal. There's deceit. There's infidelity. And when it's all brought out into the open here in Isaiah 43, I mean, it just kind of makes your heart stop. And, and maybe we could read in the book of Isaiah and say, how did their hearts get so far from God? But you know why this is written, don't you? Because we're supposed to actually hold the scripture up to us as a mirror, right? I mean, this is good. It's painful, but it's good. And we see our own idolatry when we see what's going on uh, in the life of Israel. We see our, our own pride, and, and I think we need to stop sometimes and ask this question, how far are we from the one who loves us the most? And, and how could we wander so far from our bridegroom? And what, what will become of this relationship? It's kind of the question underneath the question. What will become of this relationship? I mean, is God done? That's what kind of human beings do sometimes when, they, when you transgress them, when, when something happens, they say, I'm done. I'm done. So is God done? He's not done. 
I am so glad you don't even have to turn the page to understand. Um, you just go back one verse before this, and you just see these beautiful words that, that our bridegroom forgives us. Isaiah forty three twenty five. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers them no more. Two weeks we talked about that and how amazing and complete and wonderful is God's forgiveness. He wipes out our transgressions. He deals with the past. But this morning, I want you to see that God's love for his unfaithful bride, I'm pointing at me while I'm pointing at you, goes beyond forgiveness. God is also promising in his love. God doesn't just deal with what we've done. God doesn't just wipe out the sins of the past. God's love provides for a future that we can count on, that it, that is marvelous. And what we've got to do is we do need to turn the page now to Isaiah 44 verses 1 through 5 to see the next things that the Holy Spirit would have us see in Scripture. So listen to these next words. Remember how devastating those last words of Isaiah 43 were? Just hangs there and there's no answer because there is no answer. Here are these words of God. Isaiah 44 verses 1 through 5. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, listen to me. Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you, From the womb, these are words of great commitment and love. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Jeshurun, kind of a pet name, a loving name for Israel. Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will Pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And another will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's. And another will go by the name, call himself Israel. You see, for God's runaway bride, us, the good news this morning is there's more than forgiveness. There's more than dealing with the past. There is a glorious future that God's promises open up for me and for you. You know, even in our salvation, we understand that God does more than blot out our sins. He does. That's what the cross is about. Jesus literally takes our sins upon him. Jesus literally pays the price in our place. Isn't that amazing? What we would have to pay before a holy God, that's called judgment. We're not going to face it if we put our trust in Jesus. He has faced it for us. He has absorbed all the punishment for our sin, and our sins have been wiped out. But you know, God does more than just wipe out our sins, doesn't he? He does two things that are just incredible about the future. He gives us the gift of his righteousness, and he gives us his spirit to lead us into this future. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, to take our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You ever want to know why you stay saved? It's not just that your sins have been wiped out. Aren't you glad? Because you're glad that God didn't say, hey, okay, I've cleaned you up now. Now it's up to you to keep it clean. We would all not be able to keep it clean before a holy God. No, God wipes out our sins and then takes his very righteousness, the completed righteousness of the perfect life of Jesus, and he gives us not only the forgiveness of sins, but he gives us for our entire lives and for eternity his righteousness as a gift. This is at the heart of what's called the gospel. It's why we stay saved, because when God looks at us, oh, he sees our sin. Please don't misunderstand me. But what he sees is the blood and righteousness of Jesus, both the wiping out of our sin and the credit of God's righteousness to our account forever. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And God saw me this morning through his righteousness and said, he has my righteousness He's mine, he's still mine, and he will be mine. This opens up, you see, a future. And then God gives us the Holy Spirit. God God within to lead us into this future, to lead us into the promises, all these future gifts assured to us, all the promises of God yet, yet to be lived into by you and I. And all of them we read are yes, All of them are truly amen in Jesus. All this to say, true love must have an acknowledged future tense. If there's no promise, y'all, it's not love. It may be a good feeling. It may be a dear feeling. It may be something wonderful for a while, but without a promise, it's not true love. God's love is a promising love. You know, there's a a popular idea today, and I, I wish I'd looked up the statistics. I'm sorry I didn't. I meant to, and I just forgot. Um, the, the percentage of cohabitation versus marriage in America is really on the rise. Cohabitation meaning living with one another, what we used to call shacking up. Can I ask you a question? Why are people so devastated by cohabitation? I have had more people to, to have to, to get up off the the spiritual, emotional floor with a spatula from cohabitation, the the lowest you can get almost in, in some ways. You know, I mean, this is the, let's just try it and see whether we love each other. Hey, I love you, you love me. Let's just, hey, no promises, no strings. It's free, it's like real love. I mean, it's so like 70s or yuck, you know. Love is never having to tell anybody sorry and stuff like that. It's like, who came up with that? We say the dumbest things about love in our culture. And one of them is, we don't need to promise each other anything. 
No, people are scarred by that because they had the laughter, they had the dancing, they had the music, they had the sex, they had everything, but they didn't have the one thing they really needed. A commitment that would be there. A promise. Real love. And it is hollow, hollow, hollow because it has no decided future and we are hollow and hollowed out by it because this hope never has promises attached to it that this kind of love is supposed to have and it just leaves us in a pile of ashes finally. Uh, remember the famous early 70s Diana Ross song? Y'all, some of y'all that are older may remember this. Touch me in the morning. Y'all remember this? Here, here are the ridiculous lyrics. Touch me in the morning and then just walk away. We have no tomorrow, but we have yesterday. No, you didn't. You didn't even have yesterday, girl. (laughs) Because you didn't have anything real. You know why? Because he's gone. He's gone. There's, There's no commitment. Love can't survive without a promise. It might feel like love, but it's not. I mean, there's a reason marriages begin with vows. You understand that, right? There's a reason marriage marriage is founded on promises, right? Because love actually promises and delivers. Love brings security and openness and freedom because it's going to be there. God's love is promising in the midst of all of the runaway bride and all of the idolatry and all the correcting of Israel. He promises them. I I want you, I'm going to read verses, verse three and four again. And I want you to hear the words, I will from God. Okay. This is after all that, those hard words for I will. Future promise. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out on your offspring and I will pour out my blessing upon my, upon your descendants. You know, human love can be very capricious and uncertain. And that's why, by the way, I'm sorry, I got to say, if somebody asks you to live with them, don't. Because they, you know, who knows whether they're lying or not. I mean, without a promise, what do you have? What do you have? Nothing. If you want to build your life on nothing, that's when you're going to turn, that's going to turn into a, a heap of ashes. Um, human love can be very capricious and uncertain. And, and it's shocking to think about statistically, at least. I, I have not seen this borne out in real life, but statistically, Statistically, in America, half the people that meet for premarital counseling are going to have their dreams together vaporized by divorce. Not so with God. God's love never disappears. God's promises are sure, and they are for his people. I am committed to you. My promise is always good. I love you, God is saying, and I will love you. And we'll always love you, which leads us to the picture of these future promises 
that are given here in the midst of the correction, in the midst of the forgiving, this is what it's going to look like. Verses 3 through 5. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out on your offspring and and my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. It's beautiful. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. Another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Just real quick, this is an incredibly beautiful picture, and particularly in the land of the land and the times of the Bible. Um, that God will pour out his spirit and blessing. And he certainly did that in Acts chapter 2. That, that his blessing will be for generations to come. Children are a symbol of blessing in the Bible. And this is the blessing that will come not only upon you, but upon your children. There will be life and strength for you. These are the, I'm talking about this is the runaway bride he's telling this to. They will respond by saying, I belong to the Lord. Another will write on his hand, I belong to the Lord, the Lord's. And, and another will call himself by the name of Israel. And this is very significant because if you think about it, remember this is dealing with Israel's idolatry, God's correcting of them, the destruction of Jerusalem, being in exile, and now the promises to return and all that God will do in forgiveness and in his promises. But it was in Babylon that, that that group of people didn't have a name. It's kind of like when you go to prison, they give you a number, like 242. I mean, nobody wants to be called 242. Well, that's what was going on in Babylon. Hey, 242, this is a people that no longer have a name. And what this is saying is not only us, but our children. The covenant's still here. God is still our God. God's still going to do promised land. God's still going to do the whole thing. And we're going to be called Israel again. You understand? We're not going to be a no-name people under the hands of our captors in Babylon. We belong. We're the Lord's. We'll carve it on our hand. We'll, we'll, we'll go by the name of Israel Yet again, this is a beautiful, long-term vision of God's love for his people. And what a relief this must have been for them to hear God say these things after they have sinned against him. After we have sinned against him, we have all of this and so much more in the gospel do you know that it just gets better as the bible goes on as we learn more as things widen as things open we have all this and, and more in the gospel jesus is the fulfillment fulfillment of all of these promises look he died on the cross so we could have our sins wiped away and and have our past clean he died on the cross so that his righteousness would be given to us forever and we would always be accepted he rose from the dead so that we would have a future with him and new life in him he has given us the holy spirit so that we will be in touch with the presence of god the very spirit of jesus in our lives and have god's power upon us and God's leadership in our lives through the Holy Scriptures. And all of those promises that God has made to us, and He has made a lot of them, they are yes in Jesus. They're yes. 
There's not one no. And it's because of Christ and his work and and God's grace in our life. Don't you know he loves you? Don't you know that he's got so much for you? It's not just what he's done. It's what he still wants to do. And we, he, he will be with us. And lo, he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. And we will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth one day, in the restoration of all. And he will love us every nanosecond of this journey that was brought about by his fulfillment of all he said in the Old Testament and his fulfillment through Jesus. This is human life with God. This is the reclaiming of the relationship in Eden. This is reconciliation with God. This is more like life is the way it's supposed to be. This is blessing. And it's now, and it deals with our past, and it deals with our future. God's love is so secure. It is so sturdy. God's love, you see, is so filled with hope. You get it? It's about the future and why you know he's there. Do you see this? I think we need to ask the question. You need to ask the question. Personally, I need to ask the question. What kind of a bride are you? if we're honest would say we're, we're, we're not as faithful as we'd like to say we are so what will become of this relationship I mean doesn't this make you just want to run to Christ because he's done it and he's there I mean you know it's kind of like in the middle of all our little plans and all our little schemes and all our little you know, working out of our plans and schemes and all our positioning with other people and all what means so much to us this week and all of this and all this, the gospel just suddenly gets reignited in our hearts and we just want to run to him. We say, oh yeah, that, that's what it's about. Because of the cross, he, he will forgive me. He will cleanse me. And because of the empty tomb, He will lift up my head to a future that he has given with me. Maybe you can put it this way. If you're the runaway bride this morning, we need to trust now in the one who will love you tomorrow. Let me say that again. We need to trust right now in the one who will love you tomorrow and always. And you know what else we need to do? We need to ask the Lord to help us love other people like this. Because it's a funny thing about love. You know, God so loved the world that he gave. This is what love is. It's giving. It's other-centered. Funny thing about love, real love, is it always mirrors God's love for us. Um, for instance, would you forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you? Um, Would you reinforce your love to someone by reinforcing your promise to them? 
and remove insecurity from their hearts or even fear from their hearts. And remember, perfect love casts out fear. The love of God not only forgives, the love of God gives a future and a hope. Don't go by your feelings. Go by the promises you've made. Would you reinforce the future dimension of your love to somebody important to you in your life this week? That would be like imitating Christ. That would be very powerful. And you know what happens when we, when we do that? Well, if we do that with our spouse, or we do that with our child, or we do that with a friend or somebody, back to that kind of premarital couple it kind of removes you know all of this stuff in the relationship and it it just not only clears but it energizes it 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 begins to show a horizon and you know when we forgive when we reinforce a future dimension and a promise and a hope that's real you might be able to dream together again you know with the people you love, about a future together and together with the Lord. That's, what, that's where a loving life can go. It can go to dreaming together with people you love about a future that God has for you together, together with Him. Real love always comes with a promise. The love of God is promising. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Isaiah 43, this portrait of your love for us and and the beginning part of Isaiah 44 as well and how you answered the last verses of, of Isaiah 43 with such amazing promises. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done on the cross and in the empty tomb, you're, you've been trying to be good do your own thing to impress God. And, but if you get it, that he's holy and you can't do that and you certainly can't sustain anything and you want to put your trust in what Christ has done for you, just pray with me, Lord, I, I see it. Now I understand why it's grace because you've done it for me. And I want to turn away from everything that I've called religion and everything that I've called Christianity and I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done. Thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now you've forgiven me. Even now you've given me your spirit. Even now you've given me all your promises and a secure future. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you for quite some time, but we live like orphans. Or we at least live like people who don't seem to need God. And we're so busy trying to work out our lives and then we're so busy trying to dig ourselves out of the holes that we created because we tried to live our own lives without you. We're so filled with the complex complications of, of people and things and things that didn't happen and things that shouldn't have happened and all these things that keep us up at night, all the things that we desperately want to happen and angrily sometimes want to control. And those things have become so important to us. Those people have become too important to us 
that they are where we are trying to squeeze out life from. And we are your runaway bride. And we have lost that sense of your love, of your peace, of your forgiveness, and of your future. Lord, would you convict us lovingly? We know it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And would you lead us to confess our idolatry and to open again yet our arms to you? Lord, would you not only forgive us, but fill us with your love and presence in a, a new and wonderful way? And would you bring security in our lives by reminding us that you are the God of the future? and our future. Help us to trust in you and thereby have the focus and the energy to be able to see the needs of others and love them with Christ's love. Lord, I pray for marriages here in this church and my own. Lord, that we would acknowledge that need of forgiveness and future Lord, that you would clear away whatever needs to be cleared away, that you would cause couples to dream again of dreams of being together and together with you under your love and provision. And Lord, would you do all this just because Jesus promised it. In his holy name, amen.